The Courage to Lead, episode 57. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to interview uh, my guest and introduce you to Graham Brown. Graham Brown is a founder of Pickle & Company, award-winning podcast agency, an AI-powered, data-driven B2B podcast agency in Singapore, and the Podcast Accelerator, a mastermind of thought leadership podcast hosts. He is a published author on the subject of the digital transformation of communication. Uh, works include the Human Communication Playbook, The Mobile Youth, Voices of the Connected Generation, documenting the rise of mobile culture in the early 2000s in Japan, China, Africa, and India, and Brand Love, How to Build a Brand Worth Talking About. He also hosts Podcast Maps, To Be More Human podcast, the XL podcast, XL 10-Minute Leaders Live, and Asia Tech podcast. He has published over 1,000 podcast episodes. His work has been featured in the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, and he's worked with major brands like McKinsey, UTI, Investment Bank, AirAsia, the Singapore Institute of Management, Vodafone, Nokia, UNICEF, Disney, Monster Energy Drinks, and a host of others. He's an Ironman triathlete, having completed one full Ironman and four half Ironmans. He now lives in Singapore full-time with his family. Graham, welcome to the show. Harlem. Wonderful. Great to be here. Looking forward to this. Absolutely. No, this is great. Iron Man. Is that, was that a bucket list thing or? It was, you, yeah. Yeah. When I turned 40, I thought I've got to do something like this. Wow. And so I did, I did the, you start with the, by doing the halves or you start by doing the small ones and then yeah. you do a small one. And then, you know, whilst you're in the changing room, the locker room, you hear somebody, they get in your ear. Oh, I'm doing a half. What's a half? You learn about that and then you yeah. go to do the half and then you can't feel satisfied until you do the full one. So that's how it works. It's awesome. never ending. Never ending. So there's something else past the Ironman now? Is there a, something above the Ironman? I think there is, but humanly, most people don't go to that level because the actual Ironman itself, for most amateurs, is probably about 10 to 14 hours as a race. Wow. There are races which are double Ironmans, and et cetera, et cetera, but... Yeah. Yeah, not many people come out of those alive. Wow. Holy cow. Well, that is awesome. We definitely want to talk more about that. Talk about how you got started. Talk about Pickle and Company and the work that you're doing there. Um, but before we get started, Graham, I have 10 questions. Mm. These are the questions made famous on the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, where host James mm. Lipton asked these questions of his uh, Hollywood stars. And I figure if these questions are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, sir, I've got 10 questions for you. Let's do it. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Favorite word? Mm, authentic. Authentic. What is your least favorite word? Authentic. It's so overdone now. <laughs> Everybody's doing authentic now. Absolutely. What, a, um, what turns you on? Uh, challenge. What turns you off? Um, boredom. Okay. What no sound or noise do you love? Sound or noise? Ah, I love the sound of rain okay. and all those kind of natural sounds, soundscapes. I love them all. Great. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, one that really sets my teeth on edge is the is somebody's like squeak, squeaking wool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people are turned off by when they, you you grate your fingers down the chalkboard. Right, right. For me, it's like wool. It grates me. <laughs> the sound of wool squeaking, like wool sweaters and wool yeah, gloves. Yeah. Right. Oh. <laughs> okay, uh, Graham. What is your favorite curse word? favorite curse word uh i like them all okay oh, they're all good yeah no favorite no one stands word. out yeah no i like that actually i like the way the irish say the word feck 
Okay. I can say that. There you go. <laughs> I like that. F-E-C-K. Perfect. Quite cute. Yeah. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. Profession. I'd like to be some kind of um, either a, an athlete or somebody who lays bricks in a wall all day because they just do one thing every day, day in, day out <laughs> with much satisfaction. <laughs> yeah, I remind you, you said boredom was one of the worst yeah. things. Yeah. True. But yeah. there must be, you know, that brick could be a wall. It could be the Sistine Chapel. You could be building something amazing with that brick. That is true. And they do make some amazing things. And to be able to see what you've done at the end of the day. Yeah. What do you That's it, Harlan. That's you know, cool. if you're an entrepreneur, one of the big challenges is it's like sometimes it's very conceptual. Yeah. Especially if you're in tech. Yeah. And this idea of just building a wall or like making a meal for somebody or building something with your hands. Yeah. Very appealing. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one thing as a as a consultant. We would leave the project before you saw the full fruition of yeah. all the work you've done. So yeah, I get that. Absolutely. All right. Uh, question number nine. What profession would you not like to do? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe something where I would get in trouble, like being an accountant or a lawyer, not in trouble, like, you know, criminal trouble, but just, I wouldn't be able to follow the rules <laughs> to care. For, I would buckle down and do it. But after a year, I think I would be exposed for being, you know, too much of a troublemaker. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That would right. work out. Yep. And finally, Graham, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Mm. He would say, well done. I hope you had a good ride. <laughs> then that would be it, really. And if he said, look, if you want to get back down there and do it again, <laughs> you have to come back as something else. As long oh, as I'm coming up as a, a sort of a higher life form, not a lower down life form, like a cockroach <laughs> or something in that sort of, I've done bad karma to people. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I would like to have another go. I know people say you only live once, but I think really secretly people would like to have another go, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Could, all those things you learn, you think, wow, if only I knew that when I was 18. Absolutely. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, Graham, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got started. Uh, had your move around the world, right? The travels mm -hmm. you had and stuff, starting Pickle. And uh, what's next after the Ironman, right? So we will talk all about that right after these messages. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we're back with my guest, Graham Brown. Graham, thank you again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Glad to have you here. You are in Singapore. Hmm. Halfway around the world. Yeah, we're on the opposite sides. It's yeah. amazing, isn't it? That is great. I, yeah, I love yeah. technology that you're able to, to talk to people anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you get your start? I read on your, your profile that you, uh, you backpacked around Asia. Mm. The first time, yeah, in the 90s. Yeah. yeah, I was very much sold on the idea of going to see the world as soon as I graduated in the 90s. And Asia was really happening, Japan more than anything. Yeah. So I wanted to get out there. This was a time of backpacking. People were really seeing the world before social media. Yeah. Now in those days where you could, you would turn up in a place like Kaosan Road in Bangkok or in Bali before it became Bali as we know it now. Mm -hmm. And instead of reading it on some website or looking at it on Instagram, Right. You would sit around a table in the evening and you'd hear all these stories of travelers and, oh yeah, it was, that for me is wonder, you know, when yeah. you, you hear these stories of that, that guy and he took this boat out to the islands and spent a month out on this remote tropical island. He comes back and he has this handbook with all these 
written notes in it and he sells you this handbook, this guidebook. Yeah, that was what it was about. Now, I think it's a lot harder because your expectations already met. It's like the Paris syndrome, isn't it? That people have seen the Eiffel Tower, they go into Paris and uh, it's it's okay, but I've seen it a thousand times already. So back in those days, it was a lot more I'm sure media... Yeah, media has definitely changed. You know, things, it's, it's, I guess places are a lot different now than they used to be mm. because it's more commercialized because, you know, you've seen all these pictures and everything like that. And yeah. And they actually set up special places for you to have your selfie. Yeah. <laughs> Just specifically to capture this, you know, the feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we can't complain. We can't take it back to where it was. No. That's changed. But I think what, it's good is to remember what it was for the benefit of what it could be as well. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, if we experience everything through the phone and through social media, then we really aren't able to live life fully. Yeah. And to that extent, you've got to somehow challenge yourself to get away from that. Absolutely. All right. So you backpacked around Asia. Um, mm. And then what is that when you created your businesses? Or came uh, up with the ideas for your businesses? So basically, winding back a bit, I graduated in 95 with an AI degree. Okay. And I was a little bit ahead of the curve <laughs> that nobody knew what AI was back then. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have the opportunity of walking into a Facebook and Google because that just wasn't an option back then. So my option was to go and teach English in Japan. That was okay. it. That's all they gave me. Before I went to Japan, I backpacked around Southeast Asia. Then couple of months later headed out to japan lived in japan in the 90s which was amazing Mm. it was still it was the end of the bubble but it was still very much that cutting edge japan that we kind of knew from the 80s a lot of it was now sort of tapering out lived out in japan saw what would happen you know tech wise japan was still world leader back you know sony toshiba Mm -hmm. tdk these were the names back then saw all of that and then came back to the UK in the late nineties and thought, I want to start a business. I don't want to go and work in a bank. I want to start a business. I don't know what to do. And before I had a few full starts with friends, which never was a great idea, but I then um, happened upon this idea that I'd seen how the mobile communications industry had developed in Japan in the nineties. And I saw young girls using phones like teenagers. I thought, wow, this is like, revolutionary this is 1996 in high school girls all their fashions these japanese high school girls with all the hair and the makeup using mobile phones for messaging that was radical nobody was doing it then in the world took that idea took it back to the uk and thought i could sell this information went and knocked on all the doors of the mobile the cell phone carriers and the handset manufacturers they all told me we don't do kids Mm. i was like hey i've seen the future yeah (laughs) young people texting sharing no we don't do kids and that was quite a hard blow was at the point me and a business partner we were going to give up our business about six months into this research business it was christmas and we were sat in our co-working space as they were back then and got this phone call, somebody had phoned up and picked up the phone and they said, uh, look, we're not a mobile company, not a cell phone company, but we've seen your report and we want to buy it because it tells us everything we need to know about how to communicate with our customers. Hmm. I thought, wow, this is great. They've saved us. Now it's like the tiny Tim sort of Ebenezer Scrooge style. <laughs> right. Christmas Carol. <laughs> and I said, great, you can buy the report. Who, who is this? And they said, uh, we're MTV. And mm. This was 1998, 99. Wow. And they saved us. They they were a client for about 12 years. In that nice. Business. And they just taught me so many lessons about communication and yeah. how these companies operate. Obviously, MTV are very different now, but yeah. back then there was something. No, communication is huge. We were talking about that earlier. Just to me, leadership is communication. If you're not able mm. to communicate your vision, mission, purpose, to your employees, if you're not able to have a compelling uh, story for your customers, you're going to miss out. Mm. I wonder why 
we we don't communicate well. There's many factors, isn't there, yeah. that leaders try and communicate data, which is always one problem. We don't consume data. We consume the package right. in which data comes. And then the other part is leaders adopt the old fashioned command and control, don't they? Mm. Which is, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> and that that's going away. But we need to learn how to do this better because the outcomes, all outcomes in business really are the downstream of an upstream story told by leaders. You think of everything is like, if you think of sales, that's a downstream metric and the upstream is the story. Yeah. You look at that in branding or marketing, how important that is. Absolutely. So uh, talking about stories, um, is there someone uh, in your, in your memory or your uh, groups that you're working with right now that really gets it, that really does it right? An example of who really communicates the way they should. Yeah. There, there are many outside of my circles, but a project that I'm working on at the moment, which is launching in two weeks time is it's an investment bank in India. Very dry. If you think of the, the subject area. Okay. However, we're creating a podcast for them called the story of India, mm. which is, you know, you could imagine how many twists and turns that tale will take oh, yeah. right? <laughs> the story of India. It's thousands of years old, but how do you make that relevant and up to date? How do you build on those thousands of years of history and talk about India, this new emerging market with all this opportunity? Yes, it's a bumpy road and there's going to be many troubles ahead. But India today is like China back in 2001 mm. in terms of opportunity. For me, that's really how to tell stories in a good way because key part of storytelling is reframing the narrative, right. that there is an existing narrative already about something. And what a leader will do is take that narrative and reframe it and help people connect it to something else in a positive and potentially a negative way. We've seen how people can do that to influence people to do bad things as well, wow. because they reframe our understanding of people, events, and facts. Yeah. And I've worked, uh, I was a management consultant uh, working for a lot of different companies. There were some managers that, that got it. They were able to communicate their vision. And there mm. were some that just didn't get it. Like you mentioned before, go out and do what I tell you to do. If you don't do what I tell you to do, you'll be fired or you'll be outside looking in. And hmm. it just doesn't, doesn't work. You can't, I mean, you can, yes, you can force someone to have a certain number of repetitive motions after, you know, a while you can, you can force them into doing something like that, but to really draw them in, tell them, share that story with them, have them see that vision as clearly as you do to where they want to be part of it. Hmm. And that's really, I think the key. Um, Who's done that uh, that you can think of in the in the past that's really got a good story out there that really compels their their employees and their customers? If I can step away from business a little a little bit to show sure. what I think is the potential of story, John F. Kennedy's going to the moon story mm. is one of the best in modern memory. And given that he told that in the early years of the 60s, yeah and set the goal of going to the moon before the end of the decade safely. Yeah. And they completed that in September, I think 1969, July 69. Yeah. July, sorry, 69. Yeah. And then came home safely. Hmm. The amazing fact was, is that in our phones today, we have something like 20,000 times more computational power than the machines yeah. that they had back then. They had a four megabyte mainframe computer, <laughs> four megabyte. Yeah. Consider that. And it was black and white TV yeah. back then. Yeah. And no internet, nothing like that. The Google wasn't even around for another 30 years. No. Incredible how they achieved that. That's the power of a story. That's the power of they had something like 200,000 engineers on the job. How do you garner yeah. people to a common objective and something exactly. which is completely unknown? Amazing. And he that didn't tell them the power of story. Exactly. He didn't tell them specifically what they needed to do. He just set that vision for them and then let them figure out what do I need to do to help us get there? I love that. Yeah. That's, that's leadership, isn't it? Because is not definitely. interfering with the detail, not micromanaging. Yeah. Very cool. 
Um, yeah. So when did you sell your business and decided to, to travel again? Hmm. Why did I do it? Yeah. And I, that business, I had been running it for 13 years. And it really run its course. Okay. And my partnership with my business partner had kind of run its course as well. We'd started reasonably young. And over time, you know, your life changes and maybe you have different priorities now. He had different priorities and we kind of were going different ways. The industry had changed. We'd gone through financial crisis too. We'd gone through dot com 2001. We went through GFC in 2008. And really, everything had changed. The people weren't buying reports like they used to. And it was a good time to move out and do something new. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to try something new. I had enough. I had a really good run. It was a really successful business. But now it was time for something else. And I think everything has a natural lifespan. Sometimes yeah. people hold on for too long. Yeah. You know, they're too afraid to quit. So that was the motivating factor then. Yeah. And so you traveled the world for a while. Yeah. With your family. And then is that when you did the Iron Man? It was. It was never the plan, Arlen. <laughs> it was a bit of a crazy adventure. Business exit 2012. I said to my wife, I don't want to start another business. Don't need to. Haven't got the appetite. Hadn't taken a day off for however long, years, maybe five or six years. So we said, let's travel. My son was six at the time. We packed everything into three suitcases. We sold everything because we decided we wanted to declutter our lives. We bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand, which is, if you live in London, it's like the other side of the world. Yeah, yeah. So we flew to there with our three suitcases and we arrived there and we thought, actually, we're, we're enjoying traveling around. It's very liberating. It's very empowering. It's tough. Mm -hmm. It's quite hard. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> but we loved it. And then we decided, let's keep traveling. So we traveled for four years. Wow. Nonstop. Not, not like doing, you know, four countries in four weeks type thing. It was like we'd settle somewhere, find an island, live there for a bit. If it doesn't work, move to another one. Wow. So we lived off the west coast of Africa on the Canary Islands. That's where I did the Iron Man. And we lived on Okinawa, which is beautiful, in the East China Sea. We lived a bit in Cyprus, in the Mediterranean. So we nice. tried out a lot of different places. Wow. And were you doing any work at that time? Any remote type work? A little bit, just to keep myself busy. Yeah. But nothing to, you know, to sustain the lifestyle. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, I wanted to keep in touch with the world. I hadn't completely unplugged. I still, in, I very much enjoyed business and entrepreneurship. So I was looking, actually what I was looking for, Harlan, was a way back in. I was exploring, you know, trying building online businesses, mm -hmm. you know, trying different approaches until I'd find something. Because when you're traveling, you're basically making a decision based on what you want to do as opposed to what your needs require. Right. So that meant that anything I did business-wise had to be what I wanted to do. So I'd try a lot of things and didn't didn't work until I find something that did work. And then, yeah, that's it. Nice. And so how did you pick Singapore to settle? Well, Singapore is a great place. It's a fantastic place for entrepreneurs. We were living in Japan before there. In Japan, amazing lifestyle, great food, lovely yeah. people, wonderful, very safe. And we, the great thing about that is the lifestyle's good. The not so great thing about that is if you're an entrepreneur, you might as well be like some kind of alternative lifestyle. <laughs> it's a bit like being a yoga teacher. No offense to yoga teachers, but that's kind of how they see or how they saw entrepreneurs back then. So changing a lot. So we wanted to get into the action. Singapore's a great place in terms of your geographic reach. You're right in the middle of Asia. You have four and a half billion people within a seven hour flight, I think, six hour flight, which is, you know, compared to San Francisco, for example, the Valley, that's yeah. like five times more. Yeah. So you have a, you know, you have all those markets on your doorstep and it, they speak English, but it's Asian. Yeah. So it's very familiar, 
for, for, for entrepreneurs, it's great. Very liberal in the nice. sense that there's not a lot of red tape. Taxes are low. So all of those are good. And, you know, I had a young son, so I wanted to bring you up somewhere reasonably safe. Crime's low here. So it had everything going for it in that sense. Nice. Yeah, traveling yourself, backpacking is one thing. Traveling with a small family has got to be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not as glamorous as it sounds. You, you, there's things you miss. Sure. For example, obviously having the routine. And then you've got all that, that sort of community you plug into, right? If you are uh, in a place you've lived for many years, you know people, you know neighbors, mm -hmm. and you know how to get the food, and you know where the bus goes, and you know how to get internet. Yeah. And that can wear on you if you're, if you're out there traveling, because yeah. you have to negotiate, and you have to reconstruct your life in every new place, which is liberating and at the same time real challenge, and that mm -hmm. can eventually wear you down. Because you might just think, actually, I'm kind of tired living out as a suitcase. Yeah. I would like to have a, a wardrobe. I would like to have normal things. <laughs> and then you, you really appreciate them. Yeah. But hasn't that kind of prepared you to be an entrepreneur? Because these things come up as an entrepreneur where you have to think on your feet. You have to make yeah. decisions. You feel challenged, but you have to work through it. It oh. seems like it would have prepared you pretty well. There's a big parallel between being an entrepreneur and being a traveler. For sure. Especially when you face environments where there are no set rules or they're unfamiliar. Yeah. And yet you could live life as a tourist looking through the comfort of a, a coach window and you go to the bazaar, which is all kind of <laughs> set up for you. Right. You know, buy the carpet or buy the yes. batik painting. But as a traveler, you kind of have to get lost in the back seats, back streets a little bit, right? Yeah. And I think that's the challenge is can you exist where there is no floor and there is no ceiling, where there is very high highs and very low lows? That's entrepreneurship, isn't it? Yeah. Entrepreneurship, you will be hungry. You will be without. And that's traveling. You will find times where you, you can't eat. Yep. You will be physically hungry and you'll be stretched and tired and catty, you know, that very sort of edgy state that you can get in when you're tired and hungry and that yeah. that's very similar to entrepreneurship how do you manage that how do you thrive in that environment as opposed to just kind of survive yeah but you have managed to thrive tell me about pickle so we're a podcast agency we help brands tell better stories nice. and what better for a large multinational corporation than to get their leaders on a podcast to humanize their brand, to be, and I'm going to say authentic yeah. and get out there and engage with people, especially for people today. We think about where we are in the world with the last 18 months of craziness, mm -hmm. people demanding very much more authentic leadership. That's the thing. Now we want to know what's the CEO CEO's view on uh, diversity What's the head of products view on climate change? And what's your backstory? How did you start this business? Are you organic? Are you local? Everybody wants to know these things now. Sure. They matter. So we cannot rely on this communication, which used to be very polished and perfect, how it was right. back in the old days. So podcasts are a great way of doing that. And a great way of connecting people, Absolutely. having a conversation. Absolutely. Because I can tell you, for one, I, uh, being a management consultant, working for a lot of these companies, you see their intranets and all the white papers that are published, all the reports that are published. Nobody reads those. I would much yeah. rather see a video or listen to a short podcast answering that question that, that I submitted, mm. you know? Yeah. Nice. That's interesting, isn't it? That there was a lot of money spent on that stuff. Sure. White papers and analyst briefings. Yeah. Press releases. <laughs> right. All of that. Absolutely. So on your website, <clears throat> one of the services you offer, you say it's performance communication for B2B clients. What is performance communication? It's giving communication metrics. A lot okay. of communication now is metric less. Such a word exists. Okay. It does now. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I own it. Congratulations. Well, thank you. If you go back to, let's say in marketing, put it in the context of marketing. So marketing has had its own reformation, if you like, 
that the old marketing world was mad men and the big idea advertising, yeah. all those kind of very iconic narratives told in the 20th century. That's changed. Along came Google and Facebook and it brought metrics. So this whole idea that you could just throw money at an ad, ad agency and effectively they could create the brand for you. If, if you think the most obvious example of that is, a, I think it's a Chicago agency um, that in the day, they were the ones that wrote for De Beers, the Diamonds Are Forever mm. uh, ad campaign, which completely created the value associated with De Beer Diamonds. Because yeah. interestingly, before Diamonds Are Forever, back in the 40s and 30s, people didn't buy diamonds as engagement rings. They bought you know, family heirlooms and they mm. even had like cheaper gemstones. People mm. didn't do that. So they created a whole behavior. Mm. So an ad agency could take a brand that was nothing and turn it into something extremely valuable. And then along came Facebook and Google and just said, click-throughs. We're going to change it all. And they did. And now those two own 61% of the ad market in the US wow. in, in a matter of 10 years from nothing to 61%. That's wow. performance marketing, meaning marketing that delivers results. Got it. If I spend a hundred bucks, how many clicks am I going to get? Now we need that in communications. We yes. need the equivalence. We're 20 years behind marketing, but we need the data to say that if I spend a hundred bucks on communications, what am I going to get? If you're going to give me a press release, what am I going to get with that? Mm -hmm. If I'm going to write a white paper, what am I going to get with that? I think it's happening yeah. slowly, but like the ad agencies, a lot will resist. Sure. A lot will push back. But there will be that one person who'll step out and say, that's what I want. And then everybody will kind of see it happen and take off. So do you help businesses create their own podcast? Do you do the podcast for them? Do you help them create their space? What, do you, what all do you guys do? Now we help them create the podcast. In the early days, Harlan, I would have to do it. Yeah. I would have to be the host because 2017, 2018, people were very unprepared to do it. And when we took on new clients, they would always say, okay, you do it, you interview them. But increasingly over the last two years, we've seen the clients step up and say, I'm going to do it, which is great. You know, it's been not, I'll give it to the social media guys. Right. The CEO's doing it now. The leaders are doing it, which is fantastic. It's their show. That's what it needs to be. And then we just do all the heavy lifting yes. such that they just turn up and talk. Nice. And have they started to see how this is paying off? Are their employees more engaged with the message? Yeah, I'm not sure about quantifying the engagement. It'd be interesting to see because that's not something we do. But I'm sure anecdotally it's there. Where it really pays off, I feel, is in the business development side. See the meetings that clients get through these podcasts. So I have one client who I can't name for reasons, but you can easily go and Google this stuff. But if you know management consultancy, you know they're very tight about who they say their right. vendors are. Right. And so this client, it's one of the big MBBs, they basically had guests on their podcast who included uh, the president of AWS for India, director of inclusion for the United Nations. And these are very, very senior guests that they've had on their podcast. And so there is the benefit straight away, because if you get a leader from one business and sit them with a leader from another business, the value of that is huge, especially today where where do these people meet? Normally they would have met maybe on the golf course or at the right. summit. This is not happening anymore. No travel, no anything. So that I think even if you just look at that as a business value, that's huge. Because now we can listen in. That? We can listen into their conversation, right? And it happens well. on the golf course. Who knows? Yeah. It's wasted, isn't it? Yeah. It could be valuable for thousands of people. Very cool. So where did you find the courage to, to start your own company? First of all, like you said, you, you were traveling, you saw 
people using their cell phones and thought, wow, there's something to this. Where did you find the courage to step out and actually create a business? There comes a point where there is no other option. (laughs) So I, I think a lot of courage comes from the fact that you don't have a plan B because courage is always tempered with doubt, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That you have the doubt and the voices in your head that say, well, if this doesn't work out, you can go back to the bank. Right. But if you burn your bridges, it has to work out. And I feel that creates courage. And the word courage itself comes from Latin in that word heart, mm-hmm. right? Even in Spanish, it's corazón, right? Right. It means from the heart. It means something that you feel you want to do. I feel that's where courage comes from, the heart. It's not a rational decision in some sense. You just feel it. It's in you. You have to do this. And the only way this is going to work out is if there isn't a plan B, which is great if you're younger because you can take more aggressive risks. As you get older, it gets a little bit harder when you want to bet the house on (laughs) A yeah. startup idea. Absolutely. I but some to people, anybody that's young, yeah, do it. Yeah. But some people are, are comfortable working for someone else. Let them carry the stress. Let them make the decisions. You know, I just show up and get my paycheck every Friday. Um, that never appealed to you? No, not really. I can see that why it appeals to people. I'm not disrespecting them for doing that. I think that's fine. For me comfort and freedom are really polar opposites that people think comfort and discomfort are opposites but being comfortable is the enemy of freedom being that you only really become free and you only really grow when you go outside your comfort zone yeah when you are pushed beyond your limits and that's really again it's like being the traveler isn't it you can travel in comfort annealed to the world outside of us or you can get out there in the back streets and you know you think of all the experiences we had there's that those beautiful experiences that happen in the gaps of life that weren't planned those amazing things when it unfolds to us that's where i find the courage is tapping into that exactly yeah my wife and i when we travel we try to stay away from the touristy areas you know, we'll, we'll talk to someone and say, you know, a local, Hey, if you were going to go out to celebrate, where mm. would you go? And they tell you, Oh, go down this back alley and turn here. And uh, we were in Rome and we found some of the most amazing restaurants way off the beaten path, way, way off the beaten path. Yeah. Nice. That's the way to travel. Like Absolutely. Especially eating, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's really how you experience it. Yeah. That That's an adventure in itself because going down the back streets and, I don't know what's going to happen here. This isn't America. It looks different. And then you don't know what the food's going to be like. It's not the hotel. But you know, those are the moments you, if you have a good experience there, those are the moments you'll talk about forever. Absolutely. Like with my wife, I talk about those times where the same things where you, you happen upon something in the gaps and magical. It's a small moment. It could have been a couple of hours of our lives, but we'll keep talking about it. It will come up year in year out and that's really what it is isn't it those are the memories you make out of life and they only happen when you're free of the comfort absolutely yeah those things don't happen sitting on the couch watching tv right absolutely not so how many employees do you have um in your different companies so here in pickle we have uh let me count because we have a lot of people at work remotely with us. So we only have four. So okay. we're quite lean. And then we have a team of outsourced editors, okay, social media people, and one or two developers who work on projects. I like to keep it really lean. Yeah. So we have a core four and then everybody else is as and when projects. Because I've made the mistake in the past of growing big. Yeah. And it is not good idea i don't ever think it's a good idea to rapidly scale there's nothing good that comes out of it Mm-mm. no absolutely stay lean agile yeah um so if i was to run into or bump into any one of your employees currently and ask them what type of leader you are what would they tell me 
Oh, I'd be interested to know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they would say. You would have to ask them. I wonder. I mean, I can tell you what I'd like them to say. What would you like them to say? What type of leader do you think you are? And I probably, I would like to say, you know, I had a vision. Um, I, definitely a mentor as well, helping them grow. I, I feel, I'm the kind of person, when they join, one of the first things I say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. Uh, but, uh, you know, together we can figure it out. I want to say I don't know because I want them to say I don't know. Sure. I want to say that I'm screwed up. So usually one of the first things I do is set the tone, which is it's okay to make a mistake, especially if younger people join the company. They may be a little bit fearful. So I screwed up and I'll share it, tell how I screwed up and take ownership of it. And then that hopefully will impart that behavior in them Absolutely. that they then do that. They don't feel fearful. And sometimes, you know, I, I blow my top, right? Because I'm quite passionate, Yeah. but we're, we're, we're all like that. We're like a team. We're like a sports team. You know what it's like on the field when you, somebody drops the ball and you shout at them and they, yep. they sh throw the ball at your head. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that <laughs> in our team and yeah. it's cool. But afterwards, we're, we're absolutely cool. There's no sort of, we don't have any putting people down or blame. We just vent and we're done. And then like we've got a common goal and we get on with it. And I think some people may find that as a leadership style, a little bit unnerving that it, there's no, that it can be a bit raw. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not a tyrant, but I'm quite passionate. I think playing with me would be like playing in a team, you know, and then you have to be, ready for somebody to kick your butt, but at the same time, you know, praise you and give you a good hug yeah. when you, when you score. Very cool. And then what do you look for in a leader? Like, do you have a, do you have a mentor now or somebody you look up to and follow? Not, not a, a personal mentor. There are people in my circle and life and people I know vicariously that I, very much respect. Yeah. I've never really had a, a coach per se. Um, I would say people that I respect in business. I'm a big fan of uh, Tony Fernandez, who mm. is the founder of Air Asia. Air Asia, yeah, yeah. And he he bought a Formula One team, and then he bought a soccer club, which is just you know you never buy a soccer club if you have any sense. It's like buying a sports franchise. Yeah. You don't do it for the business. No. You do it for the, the for ego. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. see, you see these documentaries about them and yeah. you know, like they know they're making a mistake, but they just can't not do it. So here I'm a big fan of him because he's, he bought air Asia for like one ringgit, which I think is $1 and wow. turned it around. He made it profitable in two years. He's like a Mark Cuban type. Yeah. Character yeah. In America. You know, quite brash, but he's, he's less sort of, you know, masculine than Mark Cuban, if you like. <laughs> but he's pretty cool. I, yeah. I I met him, and uh, did a podcast with him. Yeah. He was he was just so. He runs an airline, but he was like so down to earth. Nice. And I was really inspired by that. It was like he didn't need to be. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need to be like that. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I look at him, and you know, I try to be more like what he does as a a leader. Authentic. Totally authentic. Yeah. You know, when I met, when I did the podcast with him in his headquarters, he came down in like these sort of lounge pants, a t-shirt. <laughs> and before the podcast, you would imagine somebody who runs a public company that you have to send all the questions beforehand. Right. No, don't need to. You know, he wanted to be called Tony, not Mr. Fernandez. Yeah. It was all cool. It was just very warm, you know. And you you can see how, if you're running a business, if you're leading a business and a team, how they become the example that you set. How right. they treat people is how you treat them or the other way around, right? Yes. You know, yep. If you treat your people badly, it doesn't matter how much you spend on customer training or advertising, they're going to treat the customers badly. Yeah. They're going to follow your lead. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the DNA, isn't it? Yeah. Your example becomes the brand in many ways. Absolutely. So you've done over a thousand podcasts. Um, who's next? 
who are you who are you going out for to try to get on the podcast? Anybody anybody we know? No big names at no. the moment. No. And uh I've I've taken a break from doing guest podcasts. Okay. Just uh because I well I did one thousand five hundred. Wow. And now I focus mostly on clients and helping them. Yeah. Which is great. So I I get to kind of sit in these podcasts with these big business names now, which is really nice. Nice. It's fun. Very cool. So you've done a lot. You've traveled the world, um, uh, starting businesses, selling businesses, creating businesses. What's next? What's next for you? <laughs> What's next? I don't know, Harlan. I, I, I think I have the disease that every entrepreneur has, which is that they either are so into what they're doing or they're just kind of thinking about the next thing. And I'm trying to balance that, not think about what's next. I'm trying to just enjoy this ride. And I think like with the last business that I was only ever thinking of selling it. And so 12 years in, 13 years in, and finally achieving that, it was 13 years out of my life. Mm. Went by so fast. Yeah. You know, and as you get older, you really are very conscious and aware of time, aren't you? So I'm trying not to think about next. I'm obviously I'm aware of what we're doing with the business, but I'm not trying to think, you know, hold my happiness hostage to achieving this objective in five years time. I want to try to be, and I say try because it's an ongoing learning process. Try to yeah. be happy with this. Now, once you're out of survival mode in the business, it's really a choice. What do you want to do with it? A lot of people I'm aware of are only focused on exits or only focused on getting to this point, right. which is fine. But for me, it's like, okay, I don't have that luxury of time anymore. Yeah. I want to enjoy this moment and not sort of look back and think, what? That was another 10 years. What happened to me? Look at my son. He's now left the house and he's yeah. working. He's got a family. That all just flew by. So I want to try. That's what's next. Next is now. Next is I, now. I, I, these are grand promises, but you know what it's like is as an entrepreneur, your brain is like hardwired yeah. to this and you have sure. to kind of unprogram. What about the technology? I mean, podcast seems to be pretty high right now and, and video podcast too. What uh, do you see anything coming up on the horizon? There's some really interesting developments in the data side, obviously data in podcasts is pretty early stage, yeah. just as we would be in 98 with websites. There was no Google Analytics. Mm -hmm. We have obviously Spotify, Apple, and increasingly Amazon in this space, mm -hmm. who are big players. They will very much drive that data piece. If you look at where we are now with podcasts, the next, the immediate next is the general growth of podcasts we got just short of three million today i think that will grow 100x in the next 10 years wow. I, I you know it's if you look at the growth of websites there were three million websites in 98 yeah there's 1.7 billion today billion. yeah especially if you look um, you're a management consultant you know all the names they all have eight nine, 10 podcasts each now. Mm -hmm. You don't have like Bain has one, McKinsey has one. They right. have multiple podcasts. Yeah. So I think that websites do for businesses what podcasts do for business leaders. So that's what's next, that exponential growth. That every leader will have a podcast at some point. And then after that, the next next, which is really exciting, this going back to my AI days is how AI machine learning and data will drive. Because here's the interesting thing, interesting fact. We spend 4% of our day on social media. Okay. That, that's the slither of our life, that little glimpse of our life that Facebook and Google are trying to quantify to understand and profile us. And yet we spend 40% of our day talking hmm. to other people. And there's a great research project from Stanford called the EAR, EAR project has measured this. So 40% of our lives are talking and all of that is about what we like, who we like, what we're having for dinner, what was on TV, etc. Now, 
how do those tech companies get a slice of that action? That's a very dystopian and yet potentially empowering future. Absolutely. That's why they have a vested interest in getting us all onto Clubhouse, all onto Spotify green rooms, all onto social audio, all onto podcasts. Is because, every, like you say, the CEO's conversation is captured, not on the yeah. golf course. Every daily conversation will end up like our social media, captured. And think of all that data. That's 10 times more data for these guys. So that could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> that's Big Brother, or it could be very empowering for us. Absolutely. And no doubt your company will be right in the middle of everything, right? I hope so. I hope we can help quantify it in a good way. In a good way. Because that could go, you know, Black Mirror style, where the, you could be at some agency stops you and downloads last 24 hours of your conversations. Yeah. You know, that's realistic. That could happen in the near future. Yeah. Let's hope not. <laughs> Let's hope not. Very cool. So, Graham, if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you online? What is your website? Easiest is grahamdbrown.com. Okay. And that's all the information on you. You're still doing speaking engagements, right? Absolutely. I'm Perfect. out there. Yeah, I love it. And Pickle. What is your, yep. the Pickle website? P-I-K-K-A-L.com. Very cool. Well, Graham, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Like I said you're in Singapore, so you're 12 hours ahead, right? Yeah. I think 12 hours. So uh, appreciate you hanging That's out. awesome yeah. time with you. And we've had a good conversation. It's good Absolutely. to know you as well. And thanks for setting this up. Absolutely. Enjoy. No, love to look forward to doing this again as, as things progress. Yeah. Definitely want to learn kind of what, where things are going and how they're going to get there. Because uh, I think, I do think podcasting is, is big, the communication, mm. the conversation. And the storytelling is huge. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. I really yeah. appreciate this. I appreciate it too. Thank you. And listeners, hope you guys have enjoyed this. A lot of good takeaways from this. Hope you were taking notes. Um, and that's it for me. Hope you share. If you did like this episode, share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. And stay tuned because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now. Mm -hmm.